You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Golik and Smetty. Mike Golik Sr. here. She is Jess Smetana. And we are bummed. We are sad. We are distraught. We are downtrodden. I'm trying to think of any other words that dejected, can be dejected, describe our feelings. Uh, if, if anybody depressed, uh, listening or watching that doesn't know yet or just tuning in for the first time, Jess and I are both Notre Dame grads. She 2016, me 1985. Yes, go ahead and insert jokes here. Jess usually does. She age discriminates all the time against me. By the way, just like uh, Ryan Day. As, as a quick, yeah, how about it? Ryan Washington yeah. State's head coach too. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack Dicker did the yeah. same thing to uh, to um, Lee, Corso. Uh, Lee Corso. But first, <laughs> about AIDS discrimination. What was that tweet that you had? Was it a tweet or Instagram where a picture of your young young parents and you being young and say, "If only I could go back and warn her now, warn your mom about you." You rip your dad as much as me on this show. What the hell was that all about? It wasn't warning my mom about my dad. It was warning young me about being a Notre Dame fan because I I think at the point that that photo had been taken of me, I was probably, it was probably like a year away from the Bush push. It was probably like fourth grade. And I was not warning my mom about my dad. I was warning young Jessica, please Go to Alabama, be a fan of the Crimson Tide, go to Georgia, go somewhere else because Notre Dame has just ripped my heart out, Mike, year in and year out since I was born. Yeah, well, so first off, I'm glad it wasn't about warning your mom about your dad because because of your comments about your father and about me as aging men, I thought for sure, because you had done it before and ripping your dad, that that's what it was about. So I'm glad to know that's not <laughs> what you were doing. It makes me feel a little bit better, um, even because you've done that in the past. And so again, I mean, we had a monster weekend of college football. We'll get to the NFL, and we're going to talk to Danielle Ivey, Notre Dame women's basketball coach, and preview what's coming up. They're going to Paris Soon. to play a game yeah. against South Carolina. How cool is that? But the college this past weekend – we had more age discrimination going on that we'll get to. Uh, we had six ranked ranked teams plus a ranked Florida State against an unranked Clemson team, which ended up going to overtime. That started the Saturday uh, at noon. Uh, but Jess, I know you were in town. We had a lot of people here. The place was going nuts. College game day was in town for Notre Dame and Ohio State, a 6-9 matchup. And listen, everybody was wearing green. When Notre Dame went down 10 to nothing in that game, I thought, oh, no. But then I thought to myself, this is why we got Sam Hartman. We got Mm -hmm. Sam Hartman for when we were down by two scores or more, we should be able to come back now. In the last few years, we didn't have a passing quarterback and couldn't do that. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. We go up 14 to 10 in that game. And then, A, we have a chance with, you know, there's a decent amount of time left, you know, what, six, seven, eight minutes but we have a chance to control the ball and eat up a lot of time and not give Ohio State a lot of time. We don't do it. Then we have a chance to stop Ohio State with our defense from going down and scoring, and we don't do it. And we compound it by the last two plays, more importantly, the last play, only having 10 guys on the field. So we had our chances to win this game. We were in position to win this game. 
and we had a chance offensively, didn't do it, defensively didn't do it, and then the mistake from a coaching staff and player standpoint of not having enough players on a field for the one-yard touchdown run by Ohio State. So give Ohio State credit. I think for Kyle McCord, their quarterback was a big step for him, uh, gaining confidence for the rest of the year uh, because they're going to have a couple of big games against Penn State and Michigan still. Uh, But this was one, Jess, we have seen this song and dance before, been in big games that just can't have the lead when the clock strikes zero. And this one was a killer because – that ball was literally on the goal line. Yeah. You know, with one second to go, it couldn't Down have a been man. closer. Oh, <laughs> Even unreal. with 10 men, it was still so close. Yeah. And it was the same end zone as the Bush push too. It is incredibly disappointing. Like we've already said, um, a really terrible mistake from the coaching staff to not yeah. have the right personnel in there. Um, and, and Ohio State, I it, coming out of a timeout too, I should say. Yeah. Ohio State didn't even realize the first play that there were only right. 10 men because they threw a pass, uh, which was incomplete, and then got another shot. And, and Marcus Freeman's explanation after the game was that he didn't want to cause a penalty and give them another free shot basically to, to punch it in. Um, but you just can't let that happen. There's, there's really no excuse for it. And I think uh, the reason that so many Notre Dame fans are – feeling like crap about this is because this was one that in almost every metric Notre Dame outplayed Ohio State in this game and passing efficiency rushing efficiency um it it just was theirs to win and credit to Ohio State because they that last drive like that that they did a great job Notre Dame gave them a first down on third and 19 which I think the coaching staff's going to want to look at uh, figure out what went wrong there the time was running out um it was brutal, Mike. I It's a brutal way to lose that game. And like you said, they had the ball. The offense had the ball with, I think, four and a half minutes left. Yeah, that's right. It was. It was It was less time than I even gave it. Yeah. And, to, and that's just, burn the clock, man. Burn and, the clock, run the ball. And Audrey Gastame was kind of missing on some plays yeah. in, towards the end of the game, which was weird. Uh, their best running back. Um, but, like, overall, I thought the team actually played really well. I thought, you know, there wasn't a lot of – there weren't a lot of mistakes. And – when the defense drops like two game stealing picks on the last drive, you just yeah. know, like it's not their night. Something yeah. like it's just never their night and it's not their night again. <laughs> it was. Uh, and, and I think even on that last play, as, as you mentioned, the two plays, they had 10 players and they tried the the one on one out there with um, Harrison. Morrison. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. With Harrison. Yeah. And it was incomplete. I believe Ohio State substituted then. Yeah. Which would have meant we could have substituted a player right. in, or, or in this case, brought a player in, I believe. Now, unless it was too late and, and the refs had already signaled, let the play run, then we couldn't have run somebody on because it was too late. Either way, a mistake not having a guy, for anybody who didn't see it, we were uh, Notre Dame had 10 players and they were short of D linemen right where Ohio State ran the ball. And as you mentioned, Jess, they still barely made it into the end zone. Not to say if we had the D linemen, it would have been different, but you, yeah, it, and that it always, yeah, always that, helps to have a, you know, a gun at a gunfight and not a knife at a gunfight, <laughs> right? You know, it helps when you have the full amount of players yes, on the field it, that it you're does. allowed to have. But yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the game, like that wasn't, that was obviously the game winning touchdown, but that wasn't the, that there's exactly so many right. other things yes, yes. that I think Notre Dame fan, that is the most, I think, embarrassing thing for the coaching staff that they right. cannot let happen ever again. Right. Um, but 
there's so many other there's so many other ways Notre Dame could have won that game. Even if you look in the first half, like coming out of the first half with not a single point after you've had two pretty good drives yeah. ended up in scoring position, uh, you know, in the in Ohio State territory. I think that's like you can't let that happen when you're playing against a team like Ohio State. So credit to them. Uh, Ryan Day in the post game, Mike. Uh, kind of made himself the story in a very like I want to say Brian Kelly esque way instead yeah. of like being very complimentary to the team and especially a young quarterback for driving down the field and scoring a touchdown uh you know on the road decided to get mad at Lou Holtz what was your takeaway from that uh, well I mean Lou Holtz again I think is 86 years old had said and listen if you're Ohio State you'd be ticked off hearing comments where Lou had said you know, he had been on an Ohio State coaching staff back in the day and, and basically saying that Ohio State now is soft, you know, yeah. and not as tough. So I, I would take that. I would be mad about that as well. But I don't know if I'd go on TV and rip an 86-year-old man, much like uh, uh, Jake Dickert, the coach of Washington State, ripped Lee Corso, who on game day when talking about Washington State and Oregon State said that nobody's going to watch bowl. I mean, the coach for Washington State took off well, Lee for saying that I'm like, wow, what is, is it? Is it pick on the old timers day? It must be. I mean, it's always that day on Golik and Smitty, but I went back and listened to what Corso said, and he said, it's the nobody wants us bowl because those teams are not in a wants conference. Us. That's right. You're right. You're and right. I think Dickert would like either misheard him or maybe yeah. someone told him that he said, nobody watches bowl. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's someone else's fault and he went with it. I, right. I don't know, but either way, totally ripped Lee Corso for it, yeah. even though it was a, a misquote. And yes, I don't yes. think, I don't think Corso was, he was, I don't think he's wrong. Like they're both no. left out right now. Right. They, nobody wanted them. So if, um, he, if he said want, yes, nobody yeah, wanted brutal. them. So I he mean, was actually right. <laughs> what a, what a, I think, I think Ryan day kind of took the heat off of Jake Dickert uh, yeah. by, by doing it on national television. And, and like, Mike, the, the, the best thing about the Notre Dame, Ohio state game, not only did Notre Dame, lose with 10 men on the field like 10 and a half or like 14 and a half million people were watching at the end of the game so just like a nationally embarrassing yep, way was. for it to end and everyone saw it everyone saw it it, it absolutely <laughs> was a couple of notes i'm laughing there were the multiple nfl players on that field but oh, yeah. to watch marvin harrison jr and give that guy credit for hurting his ankle going off getting it taped up and coming out and being a factor again but when Benjamin Morrison, Notre Dame's cornerback, lined up on Marvin Harrison, that is two first-rounders who are yeah, were lining Morrison's up against so one another. I mean, that was really, really fun to watch. Uh, Benjamin Morrison's going to leave Notre Dame as the best cornerback to play there, uh, I, I believe. I mean, he the kid is incredible. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is just – he's the best receiver in football. So that was cool. And to put a bow on this, because I want to talk about Colorado really quick, Notre Dame fans will be now Ohio State fans. Root for Ohio State. Notre Dame needs one loss. Now, listen, their schedule is tough. A ranked Duke team, again, Ooh. at Duke on a, a night game or college game day will be there as well. You still have SC to play. You still have Clemson to play. So it's tough, but Louisville might be ranked. Exactly. So if Notre Dame ends up with one loss and it's to Ohio State, and Ohio State can win out, which is still going to be tough. They got Penn State and Michigan. Notre Dame's going to be right where they want to be. But now they've given themselves no margin for error because we're not in the 12 team playoff yet. We're still in the four team and no two loss team has ever made it. So it would be the end for Notre Dame if they lose another one. So we will we'll wait and see on that. Disappointment there disappointment I'm sure in Colorado, but still had to be expected. Oregon just took Colorado to the woodshed. No other way to say it. 
took them absolutely to the woodshed. A lot of people predicted this. Colorado was 21-point underdog. But, man, I am amazed at the – I guess it's because when you try and talk a big game and you get smacked down, people start, you know, kind of throwing shade at you. All the people getting on Dion. Dion has turned this program around. When Dion said, you know, do you believe – there's a there's a whole wide gap of belief. There's, I believe you've turned this team around to, or do I believe you're now a national contender? Well, you're not that, but you have turned this program around. So you kudos to you for doing that. They're going in the right direction. I think they're only going to get better. Uh, but but boy, oh boy, it seemed like a lot of people were really happy that Dion got got the and his team got knocked around in this game. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And I think just the fact that we're talking about a week four Colorado Oregon game yeah. kind of proves what Dion has accomplished there. Yep, exactly. Um, I'm interested to see how the rest of the season pans out because like you saw the the real disparity in yeah. the trenches in this game. Like Colorado got pushed around. They were not able to to run the ball at all. They were not really able to move it. Um, and Shadur Sanders was on on the run most of the yeah. game trying to get away from these big Oregon edge rushers and had very little protection so um I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes for them but I think regardless the fact that you had two weekends ago millions of people watching yeah. a, a really late game against Colorado State like you can't take that away from Colorado even if they end up finishing the year you know with a above 500 record but not in a in a huge bowl game like i i wouldn't have expected that before the no, season i was no. saying that this was going to be a, a much longer turnaround time for them I, I agree and i think they'll get bowl eligible i think they got three more I think wins so, in too. Them. so i think they'll get there they're just not in the weight class of oregon and they're going to play usc they're not in the weight class of usc either and as dion and i knew dion would handle it well after the game said listen we got our butts kicked you know we're, we're and, and and then he also said Get us now. This is the worst we're going to be. And I believe him there. They have got to recruit big on the D-line and the O-line. That's where they need to step up their game to compete with the better teams right now. They're just not there yet, but the program is definitely on the rise. They're going to have a tough game against USC and more games this year. But I do think they will get bowl eligible, and, and I think it's a good story. And I, I did think it was funny that Dan Lanning, who I he's a good coach and he's doing a good job at Oregon, like give him tons of credit for this. It's a huge win when you know everyone's watching this game. Um, made a comment about Oregon being rooted in substance, not flash. Yeah. Like this has been pointed out by other people, but Oregon is the team that famously has like seven new uniforms yes. a season. Yes. And like their entire thing is like they're like part of this Nike marketing machine. So yeah. like let's Take a deep breath. Like <laughs> flash is not a bad thing. Let's all relax for a second. Yeah. You guys won. Good job. You did it. Let's move on. <laughs> flash flashes. There's nothing wrong with flash as long as there's some substance. And right now, Oregon has both. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't mind Dan Lanning saying all that stuff because it's all about motivating his players. It works. And just, yeah. just how Dion motivates his players. <laughs> Dan Lanning was motivating his players. So I'm cool with, with how all of it went down. Um, as, as Colorado gets their first loss and Oregon and Washington play in a couple of weeks. And that is going to be a monumental uh, matchup. So we will see how that goes. So coming up next, let's jump to the NFL. I covered Jess's favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night football. They got a win, but God, that game was somewhat ugly. We'll talk about that next. Go look at Smitty. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, Jess, so we have a, a, the weekend of NFL football is now over. We have three, let me start it this way. We have three undefeated teams left. We have the mm-hmm. Miami Dolphins, who put up 70 on Denver, which we'll get into, which was unbelievable. We have the Eagles, which whose defense looks just stifling right now. And we have the 49ers, who may have the most weapons on offense. Not the most speed like Miami, but may have the most weapons. Those are the last three undefeated teams. Throw them in into the blender right now. Who do you think, and it's early, but who do, who would you put out on top right now? Man, I I just feel like every year I want to say the 49ers are going to blow it, but every year they end up so much farther along in the playoffs than I expect. So I, I think I'm just going to ride the 49ers bandwagon now as, lo- as long as they're driving it because like it's hard to picture them having any sort of come apart the way that I think Miami, I, I still am worried about Tua. They look great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I think putting 70 up on any team in the NFL is is pretty crazy, but I am worried about Tua still. I am worried that he could get hurt. The main issue last year, they looked like a really good team last year and then everything unraveled. So I think it's between the 49ers and the Eagles, but I, I would go with the 49ers. Yeah, I, I think it's between them too. And I think the thing holding, maybe holding back Miami is not the offense, it's the defense. Yeah, uh, They still need to pick up their slack a little more of the three teams. San Francisco has the best ranked defense. Their they're rush so defense, good, yeah. they're so good. Rush defense is good, but the rush defense for Philly is even better. Yeah. Just 48 yards a game. And Philly just ran for over 200 yards on Tampa, which had the second best rush defense in the league until that game. So I would lean toward one of those teams as well. But boy, I, I, what's the worst in your competitive life? What's the? Can you remember the, a worse loss that you had? I remember being on the other side of that, like winning a soccer game like 15 to zero and like that's oh. not even fun like it's it's at some point you have to have a meeting between the referee and the coaches and just like let's let's keep the clock running for the rest of this game or something it was brutal and it was in three quarters too mike like they took out Tua in the fourth quarter and i i just can't believe like we always talk about how the nfl has so much parity and on any given week you know one team could beat another team but the Broncos defense, like, how do you fix that? You you just can't, right? Like, I don't know where you go from here. I can't, as a former defensive player, you know, I've been in some big wins and some big losses, nothing ever like that. Oh, I you know even... what I just thought of? The, the last time that uh, two old guys kicked me in Lee's asses playing pickleball, uh-huh. that that was how, I think that's how the Broncos which, felt. Which is exactly what me and my wife would do to you and Lee as well. We did it to, <laughs> we did it to, to my son, Mike, and Jenny, Jake's wife, because Jenny was or because uh, Mike's or uh, Jake's back was hurting a little bit. So we're, we're kicking young people yeah. all over the place. So we yeah. would do it to you and Lee as well. Honestly, probably, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I'd like to see it being on that defensive side and going in that meeting and watching that. I can't even fathom. One of the questions coming out of it though, on, on uh, Gojo and Gola, we, we talked to Durham Smythe came on the tight end for Notre Dame for, uh, for Miami, former Notre Dame tight end as well. And we him. asked him and, yes. and he gave, yeah. He gave the the player thought, 
when I said, listen, did you guys talk about the fact you were two points away from an NFL record and getting and kicking a field goal? And he gave the correct player response. No, we were up on that. We don't want to do that. And, and I get it. But I was like, man, this is the NFL. Man, I, I would have had no problem trying to get the NFL record. And if I was the other team, if I were the Broncos, I wouldn't say I wouldn't be able to say a damn word about it because I say stop them. So I was hoping they would go for the NFL record, which is 72 points. Field goal would have gave Miami 73. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think there's any shame in going for a record, especially a record like this that I yep. can't even remember the last time. I, I think I, I read that the last team that, you know, scored 73 points and broke the record was like 60 years ago or something like that, Mike. Like, this is just so... When I was born. Yeah, I mean forever ago i saw <laughs> ryan ryan nanny who we had on the show a few weeks said that this is a college football score and he yep. is absolutely right because i've been to college football i went to a clemson louisville game in 2018 i think the final was 77 to 16 which is not oh. far off from 70 to 20 and i i was like yeah i mean these are the kinds of scores you see in in sports where there is not parity where there is a huge talent disparity so i mean i think we said like after sean payton got hired for the broncos they can't, it can't get worse than last year with Hackett. Like so many things went wrong with him in Denver that the only way forward is to, for them to be a little bit better with Peyton. But after three weeks, I'm not so sure about that anymore. Well, Nathaniel Hackett can quietly or loudly, if he wants to say, I never gave up 70 points yeah, right? uh, in a game in my year there. So, you know, blew a ton who, of games. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah exactly. <laughs> every game. Yeah. Kind of, kind of screwed up some timing things and all, but uh, uh, so like Josh over McDaniels the, over the, uh, by the way, in, in going, going to that game, you talk about Brandon Staley, probably with the chargers and they just lost Mike Williams at a tough loss. And Josh McDaniels are probably, and you always hate when people lose jobs, but are two guys that are probably on the hot seat. I did the Sunday night game, your Steelers in visiting uh, the Raiders, and uh, it wasn't a pretty game from the Raiders side at all. Pittsburgh got their offense going a little bit, got the running game going a little bit, which you would expect because the first two games were San Francisco and Cleveland, two excellent defenses. Oakland is anything but an excellent defense. So, they got their their offense going a little more, but do you have do you have confidence in Pittsburgh though in that offense this year to actually make a bit of uh, make it to the playoffs or a playoff run? I mean, it's it's like what you said. Like the first two games, I think were a bad sample size because not every defense in the NFL is as good as those two defenses, but not every defense is as bad as the Raiders defense. So maybe they're somewhere in between like what we saw the first two weeks and and the third week, which is still not very good in my opinion. And there's also a report before the game, which is baffling to me that Matt Canada is now taking on a larger role with the offense and being more of like a, a Kenny Pickett QB coach. Um, so the fact that the Steelers haven't even really, or I, and I don't know where this report came from. So taking it, you know, take this all with a grain of salt, but the fact that they maybe haven't even considered a change there. And in fact, are like doubling down on it, I think is, is pretty concerning to me. Um, but like you said, they looked 10 times more competent against the Raiders than they did the first two weeks. And they are very lucky that Josh McDaniels bailed them out at the end of the game by kicking a field goal getting a uh, leverage the Steelers got a leverage penalty called on them trying to block the field goal they ended up basically like a minute of clock got burned they had to kick again on on fourth down instead of going for it he decides to do it again they make the field goal but they needed a touchdown touchdown. Jess I'm in the booth I'm in the booth 
and this is going on. And, and I thought I was losing my mind. I'm like, am I just doing something wrong in my head here? They were Same. on the eight yard line of the Raiders. They had a third and three. They could get a first down at the five through it. Incomplete pass. I'm like, okay, you got to go for it. I would have yeah. run that play out of try to get closer to the first down to get a new set of downs. Yeah. Touchdown, two point conversion. You tie the ball game. They incomplete fourth and three at the eight. You need the five for a first down. He lined up to kick a field goal. I thought I was losing my mind. I'm like, what, what the hell is he doing? Your, your offense is already struggling. Now you're expecting your defense to get another stop. Then your offense. And your the offense, the which field. Jimmy G has, I mean, I think I think yeah. I saw that he's in concussion protocol he now. I mean, he got, he got sacked. I don't, can't even remember how many times, but they were putting so much pressure on him. He was, uh, it was, it was a, it was bad. I mean, I, the fact that like, yeah, I, I guess maybe if you think, you know, you don't trust the Steelers offense, you think they're going to give the ball right back, which they did. But then you also have, like you said, your offense still has to score. Has a to touchdown. Score. You're like, on the eight yard line and can bad. get a first down in three yards. And it's third down. I, I, I do not understand the move at all. Garoppolo was sacked four times there you go. And, and, and quickly um, for, for your edification with, with Matt Canada, being the O coordinator since 21, since his time there, the offense is 26th in the league in points per game, 31st in the league at yards per play, and 30th in passing yards downfield. And and they're the only team, and this, this even precedes Canada, that hasn't, in his era though, they've had no 400-yard offensive games. And Mike, I saw that on Sunday night, it was the first time a Steelers quarterback had thrown two touchdowns in a game in more than two seasons. How is that possible? It, it, it's amazing. And, and by the way, for your Steelers, it's the first time they beat a Raiders team on the road. And I, that's why I say Raiders team, because they've been in different spots. On the but road, it's the first yeah. time they beat them on the road. It was basically a home game. First time they beat them on the road, Jess, since you were one years old, 1995. Wow. Yeah. What a stat. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. I don't feel better about the Steelers, but at least I'm not a Raiders fan. And I needed that because emotionally, Mike, I was in hell uh, Sunday. I pretty much haven't stopped binge eating since Saturday around 11 p.m. I, I am emotionally distraught um and and that brought me a small amount of joy but i am sorry that you had to you had to call that game yeah because... that's okay is there anything else in the nfl that that stood out to you over the weekend dallas yeah i, I mean you, what do you okay so first off like yeah if you think the cardinals are tanking it is hard to tank because you, it's you hard know... to tank and players aren't ever part of tanking players exactly. want to win and, right. and like, I'm so happy for Josh Dobbs because he's been on like five different teams. He's yep. only 28 years old, been a backup most of his time in the NFL, um, starting for the Cardinals, like inexplicably this season gets a win against uh, Dallas, which everyone thought they were maybe one of, you know, when we talked about the three undefeated teams at the beginning of the segment, everyone thought Dallas would easily yes. be one of those before this game started. But I know Dallas has a lot of injuries. Do you worry about? them not being healthy do you worry about the red zone issues with well, Dak? like what do you put the who do you I, blame for this I, I worry about a number of things and health of that old line is one especially with two older players and zach martin and tyron smith and he was out they were both out as long as um their center as well so they had three starting old linemen out of that game so i worry about those guys getting nicked up you worry about them in the red zone and this defense which was supposed to be and very well still could be the best in the league Gave up 20, what, 28 points, 26, 28 points to Arizona. Yeah. I mean, and 28 points and none 
None, you know, it was all offensive scores against this defense. So that was a little worrisome as well. This just goes to show you that any Sunday, it can all, you know, it can happen. That that one team can beat another. So that was surprising to me. The Jets, I still don't understand why they haven't gotten a veteran quarterback yeah. just to be there as a security blanket. And now you may actually need a veteran quarterback in there just to kind of, you're not going to be as good as if Aaron was in there, but maybe to stabilize because you're getting a lot of frustrated players uh, who thought this team was going to be better and it would have been with Aaron Rodgers, but man, it is spiraling right now. Yeah. Also spiraling in Chicago. Um, maybe oh. we'll, we'll get to that after we talk yeah. to coach Ivy, um, but we're going to bring Neil Ivy on the head coach of the Notre Dame women's basketball team um, and pivot our sad thoughts about college football into happy thoughts about uh, women's basketball. Very excited to welcome Neil Ivey onto the show. Neil, I cannot wait for women's basketball season to start. And I also think after this weekend in South oh. Bend, emotionally, we need this. We need we need to pivot a little bit into more exciting times. Um, my first question, how was your off-season trip to Croatia? Because yes. it looked amazing. It was unbelievable. And it's like one of the perks of being here at Notre Dame that you get a chance to travel um, internationally and give the team like that uh, cultural experience experience and also play. Um, so we had, we went to an O, um, the team was just, and we just had such a great time and Greece and Croatia is just unbelievably gorgeous. We, we were in the water a lot. So um, we were, you know, yachting and we had a white, uh, all white outfit party and all kinds of stuff. So it was, it was an amazing, um, just life-changing experience for all of us. Yeah, that that sounded like it, it was. And and speaking of travel, you're going to travel again to Paris for a game with South Carolina on November 6th. So how do you go about setting up that whole trip with travel and working? And, and obviously, you want the kids to have some fun, kids. You want the young adults, uh, young <laughs> women to have some fun. But it's also a business trip. You know, you're playing a game. So how do you set all that up? Yes, well, it's a lot of planning behind the scenes. It was something that uh, was offered maybe my and my first year honestly I got an email about it um, about the matchup and the experience and the opportunity so it's been in the works for a while and just our travel agent you know South Carolina's and um, so many different behind the scenes uh, scheduling and itinerary and all that stuff so a lot is going into this game and um, just I guess like on the court wise um, it's just going to be an incredible matchup going against one of my idols and Don Staley um, South Carolina just coming off of a final four. So an incredible matchup. I was like challenging my team, like as far as our non-conference schedule. So what better way to start the season with opening up in, you know, versus South Carolina um, and really kind of seeing measuring where we're at, but we're just excited. I hope that when my daughter swam there, they traveled uh, out of the country and they left it up to the, the, the young women to have their passports. And I guess it's more my fault we found out too late that Sydney's was expired and we'd had a mad rush to get that done. Oh, boy. So are you doing that differently? Are you gathering everybody's passports? So you have them in hand and not, not trusting them to have to do it. Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm fortunate that I have an incredible staff. My director, Pops, she does a fantastic job. She probably has them on hand right now. Um, and fortunately, you know, we went, because we went to Croatia, we already have them. They're all, right. <laughs> everything is going to be great. Run. No yeah. passwords expired, but yes, that's the first thing we are worried about. We're like, check in at the airport and then, you know, give me your passport for the entire trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not count on them knowing where that is. <laughs> Can you give us an update on how Olivia Miles is doing and when you expect to see her back on the court? 
Yes, she's doing great. She's headed into her, um, six months post-surgery um, and rehab is fantastic. Right now, There's she's just working on her strength um, and her, her quads and things like that. So everything, she's healthy, everything looks great. And it's just a time, um, it's a time, we're on kind of like a timetable for her um, because you know some people come back six months, some people come back a little bit longer, nine months, it's totally an individual thing. Um, but she's in great spirits. Um, she's just kind of like chomping at the bits, watching us practice and wanting to get out there and contribute a little bit more. Um, but she's she's doing a great job in the weight room and and leading from the sideline, which is really, really difficult. But she's doing a great job. It looks great. I know you have some exciting uh, freshman players coming in. How do you expect to not replace Olivia because she is irreplaceable? But how do you expect to kind of fill the gap and and like find someone to play in that role while she's still out? Yes. Well, fortunately, I have a fantastic point, freshman point guard, Hannah Hidalgo from Jersey. Um, she won pretty much every award you can win last year as a high school senior, Gatorade, New Jersey Player of the Year. She's come in, just won, an, um, she won the U19. Um, she was an all-star five this summer in Madrid, um, coming off a gold medal. And she's just honestly fantastic. She's so mature, very high IQ. Um, she's honestly just already changed the program with the way that she plays her tenacity defensively and just her leadership and her ability to, to pretty much do it all. So she's been fantastic. And I kind of put her in the fire early with a foreign tour. Um, she's kind of helping um, as, as we're waiting for Liv to return to us. And then outside of her, it's kind of point guard by committee. You know, we have Sonia Citron, who was fantastic, helped me run the point last year. I have a grad transfer, Anna DeWolf from Fordham, and she's doing a great job of helping us run the point outside of Hannah. So um, ha got a couple few ball handlers on the team now that's going to help. And then, you know, awaiting a live to come back and join us and, and bring her gift with us. So while, while you get a couple of portal players in, you're one of five division one teams that lost no players going to another team. How, how did that, how did that happen? Because that, that seems almost impossible nowadays. I know that for honestly, like there's so many things that I'm so grateful for, for last season. That's one of them top five that I retained the whole team with the nature of collegiate athletics right now. So I'm really fortunate that my team, um, I feel like I have the right, the right players and, you know, they're really committed and bought into what I'm trying to build. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's part of it. You know, it's definitely challenging every year. I feel like coaches probably think you have to re-recruit your team. Um, and you know, I just have, a, I have an incredible group. Our chemistry is, is phenomenal. And I just feel like I have the right pieces and, you know, still looking to continue building and bringing in more talent, but the team that I have, I feel like it's, it's, um, they're, they're really committed. And I'm fortunate that I, I had two, um, grad transfers that, that I, um, added to the roster. And I think they're both kind of filling in what I lost with Dara and what I lost with, um, Lauren Ebo. So that's been, that's been great. Were any of them close to leaving that you had to kind of talk into staying or were, were any teetering how, how did that go yeah really is no no um I didn't have to be an agent this offseason so <laughs> I, was, I was just like you know it was great my end of the year meetings were awesome um I didn't and, and every year honestly it's totally different so like the, you just never know and I'm always kind of preparing myself for for that meeting just to, you just never know you can have somebody that you think is happy and then you know you you have a conversation and you know they put their name in the portal so um I didn't have any teetering um and I and that's again like I said like that's been a that is was such a bright spot for me and um it was something that I I'm really I'm really grateful for that I have a team that that wants to grow with me so that's been great you mentioned South Carolina in the final four last year and the final four you know 
blew ratings out of the waters. It was like the most exciting time uh, to be a women's basketball fan. I think um, just an absolutely exciting tournament. How do you think that the coverage of the college game has changed? Or do you think that there's any like particular reason why this year, like it got so much hype? Yeah. Well, just, I mean, the, the level of play was unbelievable. Fantastic. You know, I with Caitlin Clark, um, there were more eyeballs on the um, on our tournament, but it was because of the style of play. It was because of the performances and, you know, LSU. I mean, there's so many highlights throughout their whole tournament. And so I think it just the wave of interest just increased throughout the um, throughout March and in April. And that's what's so exciting, because I feel like there's a lot of parity in our game. And um, it was just great just to see that our product is gaining so much interest. And I think as being a part of women's basketball, I've been so blessed, but we, we've we always felt like we've had a great product for a very, very long time. So it was really rewarding just to see we for us to garner that respect throughout this tournament. And I feel like that the, the momentum is still there. And you you see Angel Reese, um, you know, what she's doing with NIL and um, she's pretty much on every either news outlet or social media or on TV commercials, like what she's doing for the game, I think is fantastic. And like I said, Caitlin Clark, just some phenomenal performances and looking forward to seeing, you know, I, that momentum continue to swing in a, in a positive direction this year and the excitement behind it. I, I love being a part of it. Well, how much harder did your and your players job get uh, when LSU brings in Haley Van Lith from Louisville? So they're the national champs, bringing back a lot of that team. And then they get that kind of portal move. I know. And we're, I'm sitting back there like, well, I'm happy the uh, ACC, SEC challenge. I'm playing, not playing them <laughs> <laughs> because they are loaded. Oh my gosh. So I was like, thanks for taking her out of the ACC. Um, not having to play with Louisville against Louisville, but yeah, I mean, th just that roster is just loaded. So it's going to be interesting. SEC is going to be tough and um, they're obviously going to be one of, you know, they're, they're number one, I think preseason. So they're going to be the team to beat. So one and other thing, one other thing that involves LSU, I know, Players have goals every year. Coaches do too. There's the team goals that you have, and then players may have individual goals. I'm wondering if one of your individual goals is to pull a Kim Mulkey deal. <laughs> she got paid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was kind of, <laughs> my agent was like, Hey, did you see what Kim just got? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, good for her. Cause I feel like when you have, when you're um, being rewarded for your, your gifts, it's like, it's going to, it's going to help out every other coach, you know, women in the women's game. So I was, I was, and she's been awesome. Like I, I, I have a lot of respect for her. And um, so I'm, I'm happy for her, but that was, that was a tremendous bag, you know? So we're all <laughs> like, yeah. you know, congratulations, because, you know, it's always a trickle effect with um, having that type of respect um, and getting that type of financial abundance. So uh, that great for her. Cause she's, she's really changing the game for, for all of us. I like your outfits better though. So going back to the, the ACC, uh, the conference realignment stuff. I mean, we, we talk about a lot about the impact on football because the, you know, television contracts generally are, are just focused on Stanford and Cal football, but now you've got to play against them in women's basketball. And, you know, Stanford's been a powerhouse for years with Tara Vanderveer there. So yeah. how does that impact you going forward? And ha has that been something that you had to talk about with your players or changed your recruiting pitch or anything like that? Yeah, no, um, it's definitely exciting because I mean, we're bringing in three top, you know, schools, like you mentioned, especially Cal and Stanford, but it regionally it's definitely going to be a change, I think for, especially for them recruiting wise, um, but it's definitely going to make our conference even tougher. I feel like we have the toughest conference 
in women's basketball, we had eight, eight teams that went to the tournament. And now you're adding, like you said, another powerhouse with Stanford and a hall of fame coach with Tara. So um, I don't, I didn't change my pitch, but it's definitely, I just always feel like the turn, the ACC conference prepares, prepares us for the tournament and, and helps us have the opportunity to go into the tournament and, and do well. And so I think it's a positive. Um, I think they're, like I said, three top institutions and they're going to bring uh, a lot of greatness to our, to our conference. And so I'm looking forward to it, and it's, but it's definitely going to be even more challenging, you know, having to, having to go out there and, and play in California just randomly in, in February. So. Well, and, and to that point now, luckily from travel side, Notre Dame is at least in the Midwest, you know, to yes. go out, out West and, and for the West to come to you guys. But talk about bring people inside a little bit, because this is something we've talked about with how the travel is going to work for, you know, the non football teams who travel charter and it's still and just there for a day or what's still difficult. But for basketball and for other sports as well, when these when these uh, athletes have to travel from west to east or east to west, coast to coast and the time they travel in the studies, just how difficult can this be? Yeah, that's a great point, I think, especially with budgets. And, you know, that's totally um, the thing that I have to worry about outside of scheduling and outside of the game is just making sure that we're we're funded properly and we have enough budget wise um, money to be able to do this type of things. And there's some certain sports that need more help than others. Obviously, I think we all kind of understand yep. that. But I definitely think that's going to be a constraint on a lot of programs. Um, it's going to be very difficult, um, you know, trying to manage that because that's Texas and that's California um, in, in most cases, depending on home or away. So it's definitely going to probably um, bring a lot of, uh, difficulty as in the budget for a lot of programs. And for me, fortunately, I, you know, I have a ton of support from our administration and resources. Um, so I think that we'll, we're going to be okay, but you know, you do have to think about how that's going to um, challenge a lot of programs. Uh, I have one more question. I have been watching a lot of Notre, former Notre Dame players in the WNBA this season, and there's oh. a, there's a, a few really good ones in the playoffs right now. So how do you choose what team to root for when you're watching all these players play against one another? I know. First of all, like you said, like they're killing it in the league. Like we have second most WNBA players alum that are in the league, but you know, we have, I think the most dominant ones and for sure right now matchup, we got the aces and the wings. So Jackie Young versus Enrique Agumbawale. Yeah. It is really difficult, but uh, you know, I always feel like it's a win-win. So when one of them loses, <laughs> we still got another one that's in. So, um, and I, tr we, we try to support so much either going to Indianapolis or Chicago to, to watch them um, live and just support them. But I'm so proud of them, but um, it's, it's definitely challenging because they're always playing against each other, but just to have so many alum that are contributing, but also making a big impact in the W has been awesome to be, to watch. Well, yeah, we, we really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck as this gets going to see Notre Dame right there at the end, but man, have, have a ball on that trip. Like I said, I know it's a business trip, but going to Paris, I mean, Man, that that sounds I want to like go so bad. Yeah, hey, yeah. I got two tickets for you guys. Let me know. I heard it's sold out already. It is sold out, but you know we got we can pull strings. We, we got you got ways. Huh? We appreciate <laughs> yeah, that very much. Yeah, we got uh, the we got the Notre Dame ties. We're good. There you go. Thanks, Thanks a lot, so Neil. Appreciate Thanks. it. All right, Jess. Want to get back into the NFL? Talk about a couple teams, but quickly, we had the Grand Prix in in Japan. 
And it took all of uh, one race for Red Bull to get, <laughs> and Max Verstappen to get back on top. They were yep. hadn't won or didn't win a race last uh, week and the first time in 15 races, weren't even on the podium. And there they are again, back at the top with Max. So same old, same cool. old. Yeah, the Red Bull won the Constructors' Championship. Max is probably going to tie up the uh, Drivers' Championship next race, I want to say. He can do it, if I think, in the sprint race. Um, so, yeah, Mike... Uh, it's been a long season of watching Red Bull win, um, but credit to McLaren, second and third place. They they had a great race, Piastri and Norris, uh, and, and we'll see how the rest shakes out in the behind Red Bull zone. Yeah, behind Red Bull. It's of, exactly of right. All right. I want to finish off in the NFL, some on the field and some football talk, but not football talk as well. Let's let's start with the Bears and just just how bad this has turned out. Going all the way back, Jess, when people were talking about Trade away Justin Fields, get one of these uh, rookie quarterbacks that's in the league. Now, I was against that. I said, I like Justin. Let's see where he can go next. And certainly not all on him. They just have had such a lack of talent. Then they have the uh, off-field issue with their D coordinator, Alan Williams. Uh, they have $100,000 worth of gear stolen out of their facility. I mean, it is I it shouldn't is laugh, just... but like, what the, they're, what is happening, Mike? It is so bad. And Justin Fields got hammered for his response to a press conference question yep. where uh, I think, I think you, if you listen to the full quote, yes. it was not as bad. It as was just not him it was blaming not. coaching no. for him not playing not. well. I interpreted it as he doesn't know either why suddenly he can't get the ball out of his hands and why yep. he's not, you know, doing what I think he knows he's capable of doing. I'm with you. I like Justin Fields. I actually thought he'd be pretty good in the NFL. Um, I, I just, there, this organization is a complete dumpster fire. And if you were watching the bears this weekend, it was just because Taylor Swift was at the chiefs game. It wasn't, you know, yeah. it wasn't for anything happening on the field. It was a complete blowout. Yeah, it, it was, it was awful. I I'm amazed how Luke Getze and Justin Fields, Luke Getze, the O coordinator just can't seem to get on the, the same page at all here. I mean, and then that's football. Then there's the Alan Williams thing, the D coordinator. That's, that's obviously not football and a, and yeah. a real you and know, life issue there. Unclear yeah. what exactly yeah. happened. The, the official reports are that he was let go for a non-criminal inappropriate workplace conduct situation. Yeah, so, HR was involved for the Bears. Yeah, and we'll, such. yeah, I guess we'll find out maybe someday what what the real situation was. But there were so many rumors going around and unsubstantiated reports uh, going around last week that I think a lot of people fell for, like. Um, there was some rumor about peanut Tillman and I had to tell my dad, no dad, that was, that, that was fake yeah. news. Yeah. And when it's, <laughs> and you got to definitely be careful about what gets out there on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, but either but, way yeah. it's been bad for the bears. They have off the field, they're on the field. They, you know, the guys, you know, they've been bringing onto that team just haven't been clicking right now. Uh, we will see, but the team they played. It's certainly starting to click Kansas City. We know is going to be one of the top teams and not just the AFC, but the NFL. But man, I mean, talk about talk about finding out again. We're sports fans about just how big stars are outside the world of sports compared to athletes. As Taylor Swift was in the in the suite, sitting next to Travis and Jason's mother, uh, Kelsey, I'm talking about Donna, who's living her best life right now, yeah. without question. That she's there is Taylor Swift to see Travis Kelsey. He rented out a, a restaurant after that for them and the team. And I mean, the 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 Taylor Swift fans 
had to be Googling like crazy to find out who the hell Travis Kelsey was, right? Because she is so much bigger overall than than football and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, which is why, I don't know, I, I feel like um, I, I'm not entirely sure how organic this meeting was between ah, Taylor Swift and the Chiefs. Conspiracy theory. It's not really a conspiracy theory, more <laughs> so like, I think very smart PR people were involved, but then I think the counter to that is like, there's no way that any, anyone involved in the NFL or in the, with the chiefs or even like Bill Belichick, you know, giving his cute little comment in his press conference, like yeah. not all of them can be in on it. Right. Like it almost worked out too well. And it just is, it's mind boggling to me how great of a opportunity this was for the NFL to look cool for the Chiefs to look cool for Travis Kelsey to look cool for Taylor Swift to look like fun and awesome like yeah it it was too perfect Mike and that's why my like conspiracy theory alarm bells started ringing because if I were Taylor Swift's publicist like I'd be like go to a Chiefs game and start dating rumors with Travis Kelsey because the entire world blew up. It almost overshadowed the Dolphins putting up 70 points on the Broncos oh, I, it, on Sunday. It overshadowed. It also overshadowed Usher being named this halftime yes, show at yes. the Super Bowl. <laughs> Complete afterthought. I mean, Complete afterthought. And and my son, Mike, who is a Swifty, said that's the mastermind of Taylor Swift. That's stealing true. the headlines there. That's true. Uh, over, over the headline, uh, uh, headlining the Super Bowl halftime. But I, I, I love this for however long it lasts. At some point, Travis Kelsey will get a song written about him, I'd imagine, uh, oh, because yeah. that's what Taylor Swift does. But I think I think Travis can handle it better than any than any of the other people she dated, because Travis is just a cool dude, right? I he's mean, a nice he's guy. just a yeah. fun loving guy. Mike, I, mean, I, I really have nothing negative to say about him. I no. met him like years ago when I was like 22, I think, covering a, a Super Bowl with Charlotte Wilder, who, you know, from yeah. Wilder Wednesdays. And like years later, I saw him in the Chiefs locker room after the Super Bowl and he remembered me and was like so nice. And it was just like shocking to me because I was like, you know, a lot of media athlete relations sometimes can be a little awkward and weird. And he was just like the nicest guy. So, yeah, I mean, good for him. Good for Taylor, but really good for the NFL. Like Good for they, the NFL. Yeah, they pulled it off. But I will leave you <laughs> with this. The best Kelsey Swift combination on the football field is the is Eagles. Philadelphia. Okay. Jason Kelsey and DeAndre Swift, the running back for Good the one. Eagles. That's going to get the Eagles further than Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I love it. And I'm done. See you next week, Mike.